say good evening. Welcome to the service this evening. We sang, Revive Us Again. And Josh was saying that if we ask for wisdom, he's so ready to give wisdom, and I believe it's the same way with revival. And if you've been praying for revival, guess what is the only thing that stands between you and revival? Myself, yourself, ourselves. And God is just waiting to bring revival to our hearts. So welcome. Um, I hate to make a second introduction, but I've been being asked what church I'm from, and I, from, and I guess we forgot. Um, we're from Sunlight Chapel uh, Midwest Fellowship. So that being said, is there any children here tonight? No children? All right, children's meeting, come forward, and we're going to choose the floor in this little bit of seating area here. Come on forward. I don't know all of your names, and I probably can't remember them if I heard them. So start sitting on the floor over here close to the wall. We'll have a little children's lesson here, see what we can learn. All right, thank you for coming. So tonight I do have a little bit of an object lesson. It isn't really much of one. But we're going to have a Bible story first. It's a Bible story that some of you may know. And um, we're going to talk about something that we have a problem with. Children seem to have a problem with it. Mommies and daddies seem to have a problem with it. And the funny thing is, it's the mommies and daddies that are teaching the children. So therefore, we have a problem that keeps reoccurring. We're going to talk about the tongue. Now, see, a tongue is something that everybody has. They only have one, and they have a hard time taking care of their tongue. And you were born with a tongue, and your mommies and daddies taught you how to talk, right? And they told you how to speak. Well, after they teach you how to talk and teach you how to speak, they can't turn that back off, right? And so... Our tongue is trained, but sometimes we have a problem with it, and even as parents, we have a problem with our tongue. What does our tongue do that is not very nice? Somebody tell me. Your tongue always nice? Does it ever, does it ever show up? Does it ever show itself? Like, you know, sticking your tongue out? Never? Does it ever say things that aren't very nice? Yeah? Well, you're a pretty good group if you don't have a problem with your tongue. Because I thought, I thought most children do. Yeah, so sometimes we say things that are hurtful, and we think it makes us feel good when we say something hurtful to somebody else. And then our parents say, now you have to go say, I'm sorry. And now you use the same tongue that said, I'm sorry, that said naughty words and hurtful words. That same tongue now has to say, I'm sorry. See, so our tongue can be trained. And we need to say nice things. I'm going to read you a Bible story about some children who got, their tongue got them into trouble. And I don't know if they ever even had a chance to say, I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I don't think the Bible really says. And then we're going to have a little object lesson of what happens when our tongue starts to wag and we don't stop it. And it says all kinds of things, all kinds of bad stuff. And we can't change that. We can't change what we say. We can't take it back. So in the Bible, there's a story that's pretty short, actually. I think the Bible story books do a good, time, do a good job of putting it into a couple pages. So this is the story about um, Elisha. Now, Elisha was a man of God, and he had, he had done some miracles, and a lot of people liked him. And he was listening to what God said, and then he would say to the people what God said. Well, here in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, Elisha was going on a walk. And it says that he went from thence unto Bethel. So, so 
So Elisha's taking a walk. He's walking down the sidewalk. Maybe like over here in town. He's going down the sidewalk, going close to a school. You think? Probably, yeah, going by a school. And as he was going up by the way, there came forth little children. Are you little tonight? None of you. You're all big, aren't you? Well, these were little children out of the city. And it mocked him. Now, mocking is to make fun of somebody. It's to tell them that they're, they're ugly and that they're not nice. And, and it's just to, to, to mock them, to make fun of them. And they did that to the man of God. And this is what they said. They said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. Now, that's just pretty nasty. And you could say that to me tonight. Did you know that? Yeah, you could say that to me tonight. Those were the words that came out of their mouth, and they could never take them back. Now what's going to happen? Somebody know what's going to happen? What happens? Oh, you knew that. It says, and he turned back and he looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear forty and two children. Now, we don't have forty-two up here, I don't think. I didn't count. So they tear forty and two children of them. And then Elisha kept on walking again. Now, the Bible does not say here that those children... Ever got to tell Elisha, sorry for what we said. We're sorry for, for saying those bad words to you. But they were making fun of the man of God. And God sent the bears out. And they ate them, or they bit them, or they chewed on all of them. Not one of them got away. They might have tried to run. Maybe some of them tried to run for home and started hollering for mommies and daddies or whatever. And the bears got them anyway. Now, somebody tell me why the bears bite, bit them. What did I just read? Why did the bears bite the children? What was the reason? They were mocking, and they said bad things. Now, do you think if they could take those words back, put them right back in their mouth, do you think the bears would have bit them? I don't know. I don't know if the bears would have bit him. So this is the lesson for tonight is that when we say something mean, we can't take it back. And the same tongue that says something mean is capable of saying, I'm sorry, and I don't want to do that again. But we can't take the words back and put it into our mouth. So we need to, we need to really see what that looks like, right? You know what that looks like? Can you all stand up? And you can stand up. You can come up here if you want to. We're going to have a little bit of fun here. So I brought a, a, a mouth along right here. This is the mouth. And in this mouth is a little tongue. And that is the tongue. And this tongue says words called bubbles, right? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull, pull this tongue out and I'm going to blow out a whole bunch of words over here, right? And over here. And your job is all to catch one of those words and put it right back in here. And then I'm going to quick put this back on before they come out again, right? So that is what it is like to say words, all right? Do you all know what bubbles are? Yeah, so you know what they look like when I blow them? Okay, I'm going to blow them. I'm going to hold this out here, and I'm going to wait for you to put them back in, okay? You need help. we got to get the parents up here. Okay. They're not going in here very fast. Can you just take them along back to your parents? <laughs> Can? All right. So thank you for coming up. And that is what it is like 
to take your words back and put them back into your mouth. It just doesn't work. All right? So thank you, and you can go back to your parents. Thank you for being kind to me. All right, thank you for coming and bringing your children. Thank you for having an interest in the word of the Lord. I feel a need to petition the Lord one more time, so I'm going to ask you all to stand for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at this time in need, Lord. We're needy creatures, and we stand before you with humble hearts, open hearts, and needy hearts. Lord, I ask that you, in the name of Jesus, would bind the powers of Satan tonight, that he would be removed from this place, that there could be no distractions, that the Spirit would have free course, and may there be an anointing of your Holy Spirit here tonight in a way that would meet needs. You know the needs of every one of our hearts. I do not. So, Lord, we just commit this service into your hand, the preaching of your word, that it would be from your very heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, for message this evening, we want to start with turning to 1 Samuel again, 1 Samuel chapter 16. So last night we discussed the, uh, the theme of the heart, and that's what we want to look at this week as being a theme of the heart. And um, the idea was to examine ourselves, have a little surgical procedure, and discover whether Jesus was in our hearts. And so I'm assuming that you did that, and um, that you found Jesus in there, right? So what, is there, what more is there to say? And therein I find it a challenge to preach this message tonight, because I am struggling with the fact that this message ought not need to be preached in this setting here tonight. I would think that the born-again believer wouldn't struggle with the subject that we're going to look at tonight. And that is why I find it difficult. And so pray for me, pray for the message. But let's look at this verse one more time. We did it last night, let's do it again. And There's two verses here, and the setting I said was that God was going to appoint, anoint another king, and that he chose uh, Samuel to go and, and anoint one of the boys of Jesse, one of the sons of Jesse, it is. But there's some to choose from. And you go down there and you find out which one it is. Samuel didn't know which one it is, so they lined up there and he starts going down through and he was going to uh, anoint one of these young men as being the next king. That's where we're at. This is how Samuel proceeded. And so they're standing in a line in verse 6, and, he came, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. Oh, Eli, uh, Samuel, he's so much like us. We're so much like him. And it came to pass that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. Here it is, folks. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. You know, tonight God is not so, so interested, sisters, in how pretty, prim, and proper you are sitting here tonight. And young men... Brothers, God is not so interested in how tall and dark and handsome we are. And young men, God is not so interested in the biceps that we carry. He is not. It is very clear here tonight that He is interested on the things of the heart. But it happens to be, preachers, that we get up and we preach to a crowd and we think they're all fine. We can't see that there's any issues in their lives because we're looking on the outside appearance and it makes it very difficult to know what is happening on the inside. We're like a Samuel. We make an observation from the outside appearance. God says, not so with me. Not so with the Lord. But the Lord looketh on the heart. But the Lord looketh on the heart. I'm so glad he looks on the heart. 
I'm so glad that he doesn't just go by appearance. I wouldn't stand a chance if the Lord went by appearance. But he's looking on the heart tonight, and I ask again, are you concerned about that? Does that concern you? And here, here's why I'm wondering if it concerns you. The title of the message tonight, we, we need to first understand something. That even though, even though that we found Jesus in our hearts last night, even though we know that we have been saved, we're in a battle tonight, folks. We're in a battle of life. So since we're in a battle, we're in the Lord's army. We're warriors for Jesus Christ. I don't want you to forget that. We're warriors for Jesus Christ. And what happens to warriors, brothers and sisters? They get wounded. The warrior gets wounded in the battles of life. And you and I are sitting here tonight because we had an examination last night and we know that we've been saved. But we've been wounded. We've been wounded in our spirit. We've been wounded in our hearts. So tonight the title of the message is Wounded Warriors. Wounded Emotions. Wounded Emotions. It's a difficult subject. But emotion is this. An emotion is an intense feeling as love, hate, or despair. It's a feeling. And if you would, look, if you would describe feeling, it is a general emotion, emotional condition. So there we have the two words. Feelings and emotions. It's what we are. How you are feeling is an emotional condition, and how is that tonight? Wounded emotions. Wounded hearts. Do you always expect things to go as planned? Have we ever experienced disappointments in life? It's life's disappointments that lay the wounds in our emotions and get us down and hinder and hamper us. It's life experiences. I'd like with you to turn to a precious verse that I discovered as I was studying this subject. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 10. We want to look at this. It's a beautiful verse. Jeremiah was a man of God with many, many disappointments in his life. We would say Jeremiah was a wounded soldier, and we know that. And here it is in chapter 10 of the, of the book of Jeremiah, and there's a whole host of writings that follow after this verse. And we already discover that Jeremiah is a wounded individual, and he has a whole host of life to live yet, and he knows that not one person's going to listen to him. God said their hearts are going to be hard as an adamant as stone and flint, and they're going to butt heads, and they're not going to budge. That's what he told Jeremiah. They didn't like him either. So this is what Jeremiah discovered. In, Je in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 19. This is a beautiful passage. And folks, you can mark it, you can, you can highlight it, you can, you can underline it. Jeremiah says this, Woe is me for my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly this is a grief, and I must bear it. That's a beautiful verse. Jeremiah is no different than you and I. Jeremiah came to the realization here when he is speaking, and he says, woe is me for my hurt. He came to the realization that this was all for the honor and the glory of God. The wound that he's experiencing, the pain he's experiencing in his life is for no other than himself. And that is why he is feeling and experiencing the things he is feeling. And he comes to the realization, this is for me. And I must bear it. Can we say that tonight? Can we say that with Jeremiah? The pain that I feel. The emotions that I'm feeling. God understands and He has ordained them for me to bear. They're appointed for me. It's God's will for Jeremiah to be refined. And when Jeremiah came to the stark realization right here in verse 19, chapter 10, 
when he came to this realization right here, he could shoulder whatever came beyond there all the way to the end of the book of Jeremiah. And I found a dungeon in there. I found a dungeon in there filled with mire. I found Jeremiah down in that dungeon. But because he came to the realization that this wound is for him and this, this experience is for him and that he has got to bear it, this is for him. Is that where we're at tonight? There comes a time when you and I must recognize that my griefs and my wounds are for me. And we've got to determine that I must bear it. Not someone else. That's where we go so many times. And pastors or leaders, you'll probably all know what that's like. When all of a sudden we're supposed to be the ones bearing it. God has a plan for every one of His children, and it includes hardships. But it's to honor Him. And we may not look around in the brotherhood. We may not look around, we may not look around in the home and, or, and wonder why not somebody else. Why me? Why not somebody else? But we want to look at an individual tonight that I just think is a lot like us. And so for our text tonight, I'm going to ask that you turn to um, 2 Kings chapter 2, I think it is. No, it's 2 Kings chapter 18. Chapter 2 was the Elisha lesson. 2 Kings chapter 19. It's 1 Kings, sorry. That's why I can't find it. First Kings chapter 19. So tonight we have an individual who experienced life difficulties very much like we do. As we look at this portion of scripture, I want us to understand that there's four aspects of emotion that, that I want to look at. These are not original with me. The late Marvin King had preached a sermon one time and he talked about these four aspects. Four aspects I want to look at tonight is discouragement, depression, despondency, and despair. There's four types of emotional wounds. Well, I want to realize, I want to see, I want to know if we can recognize any of these in my life. Are these present in my life? So last night we were doing an examination to see if there's what is in our heart. What was the surgeon going to find? Tonight, I want to know, we want to know. If we have any of these four types of emotional wounds, the chastening of the Lord, it could be. It's a spiritual warfare that we're fighting. It's not a warfare that we can see. And the devil is succeeding in destroying Christians today without any persecution from without. And that's sobering. It's not a new tactic. As we look in the scripture tonight, this is not a new tactic of the devil to get, to get the Christians down, to attack them. 1 Kings chapter 19, we have Elijah's struggle to overcome feelings and to live by faith. So before I start reading, what we had was Elijah on Mount Carmel. And he had a mountaintop experience. And he slew the prophets of Baal. And he was doing a mighty work. I just heard a sermon on how much energy that took from the, that would have took the prophet to accomplish what he did there that day on Mount Carmel. You and I probably don't have half the stamina to do what that prophet did that day. 
So we need to understand that he is weary and he is tired. Does that ring a bell? Weary and tired in the Christian life? Elijah is weary. Very tired. And that's where we come to. Now I'm going to jump back up and read the last verse of chapter 18. Verse 46, it says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. The mighty God, his hand was upon him, and he outran Ahab to Jezreel that day after he did all that mighty work and the miracles. He had what it took. God gave him what it took to outrun Ahab. Now this is a man that could run like nobody ever did. This was awfully close to the Lord. Incredibly close to the Lord to have the Lord's hand upon your shoulder. How could you go wrong? How could you ever go wrong with the hand of the Lord upon you? Let's find out. Let's find out what it takes to be beat down, sawed off, and cast away. That's what it feels like sometimes to be wounded. Chapter 19, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah. And he left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am, but no better, I am not better than my father's. And he, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by in great and strong wind rent the mountain, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his, man, his face in his mantle, and went out and stood at the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshai shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mola shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. So, departed, so he departed thence. Cease reading there. What we have here is an account of a man who just had a mountaintop experience and we said he was, was very close to God. God's hand was upon him. But we want to see what took place. 
He was struggling with feelings. That's what, that's what I see here. He was struggling with feelings. So tonight, we're not talking about mental illness. That is something of its own. I'm not a, at all an expert on it. What we're talking about tonight is a spiritual condition, the valley experiences that we experience, where our feelings and emotions are being suppressed, where we feel as though we have uh, a, a cloud over us, the dimness and the darkness pressing in upon us. How accurate are our feelings? So we see here that Elijah was not a mental case, but he was going through a valley experience. And isn't that interesting? He was on Mount Carmel. Now we see he's going through a valley experience. So some of us might be experiencing mountaintop experiences today. And I don't know what all that might be. I know there were victories won last night. I know there was some um, new converts that were baptized here recently. Mountaintop experiences. The best choices and decisions of men and um, young men and young ladies can ever make. Mountaintop experiences. It's what Elijah had just experienced. So the question I'm going to ask tonight is, how do we get to this point? How do we get to the point where Elijah found himself? Or how, where God found him? Wouldn't that sound better? I don't know if Elijah would have ever helped himself. But God found him. How do we ever get to that point? That's what we need to look at tonight. I said we found Jesus Christ in our hearts last night because we know that He rules and reigns there. But there could be somebody here tonight who's experiencing emotional um, turmoil, emotional wounds, just like Elisha. Let's take a look at this. So how do we get to this point? I find that in verse 3. Very clear here that um, Ahab tattled on him a little bit to Jezebel there. For some reason, it was really important to to Ahab to tell Jezebel everything that took place. And I can just imagine he just he was just thrilled to see her get all riled up. I mean, can you imagine? And so he tells her what happened. And then here in verse 3, Elijah, Elijah. And when he saw that, all right? Did you did you see that while I was reading that? And when he saw that, that's just a small phrase. Do you know how much weight was carried with that phrase right there? And he saw that. He saw with his eyes, or he, 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 he saw what was taking place. Somebody tell me what he saw. If it carried that much weight, we ought to know what he saw. Somebody tell me. An angry woman. That's what he saw. Now, do you blame him for running after all? He saw an angry woman. And he, the hand of God had just been upon him. That's how close his relationship with God is. And he looks around now, away from God, to an angry woman who says a lot of nasty things, makes a lot of commitments and promises. And it's all over, right, for Elijah. That's where it starts. He took his eyes off God onto his circumstances. And there we have it. That's, that's just laid out. Our emotions are controlled by our circumstances, or they respond to our circumstances. And so when our circumstances are such as Elijah's were there, which is very nasty... He did what most people would do. He responded according to his feelings. That's how we do so many times. That's how he got where he was going. He saw an angry woman. And this is our first step towards a wound of discouragement. We'd like to look at that. So he took his eyes off of God and what he had just accomplished with, with Elijah. He saw the angry woman. And he becomes discouraged. That's the first step. 
And this is an order of progression. There is a progression going to take place in Elijah's feelings and emotions. Or at least I can find that here. And it's the same way with you in my life. There's a progress, a progression. So he's discouraged. Now discouragement tonight, folks, is depression of one's spirit. To de deprive of courage and confidence. That was all gone for Elijah already. No more courage, no more confidence, and he was feeling down in spirit. Now, I mean, a, a man who just took care of all the prophets of Baal, but he couldn't stand up to the woman, and that is because he took his eyes off of God, and he looked at the woman, the circumstances, and the condition. That's why he was feeling discouraged. Now, what is discouragement? Discouragement for us tonight is, is the, oh, what am I going to do? I have to get out of this somehow. I don't know what to do. We're no longer filled with the Spirit of God because we took our eyes off of Him. Is it wrong to feel discouraged tonight? No. That is a feeling. But we may not dwell there. We're going to see what happens when we dwell there. So because you felt discouraged in your life, that's, not, that, that's all right. That's not abnormal. It's what we do when we feel discouraged. We need to see it as being discouragement. The purpose of the sermon tonight is to identify these, to be aware and alert, and be proactive. So discouragement. It's looking at situations and circumstances from man's point of view. Nobody has it as bad as I. That's the perspective of discouragement. We're distracted from seeing God's sovereign will, what he has just accomplished in our life, what he just saved us from. And we forget, and we don't, we don't recognize it. We're distracted. There's a loss of joy, obviously, in our hearts that we just discovered last night. It's taking our eyes off of Jesus, who just saved us. And it's forgetting that we're one of His. Now, what is some causes of discouragement? You know, we kind of identified some here for Elijah. But for us, you know, we have a choice. If we're going to allow ourselves to remain discouraged, that is our choice. Heavy burdens is, is a big one for be feeling discouraged. Now, we were created beings to give our burdens to the Lord. Our created beings are not made to carry burdens. Did you know that? So when we identify burdens that are heavy, we give them to the Lord. That is our blessing and our privilege is to give them to the Lord. So heavy burdens, financial setbacks, uh, job losses, heavy burdens... Defeat. Defeat can cause us to be discouraged. Apparent failures. See, Elijah thought it was apparently a failure, and he decided to react. That's what he's doing. He's reacting to his circumstances. Sickness. Sickness can cause our bodies to feel so low, feelings again, and we become depressed or discouraged because we just don't feel well. We just don't feel well. You know, where's God in all this? If God would care, he would make me feel well. And you start rationing. What are the remedies? That's what we want. We want to know what some remedies are for, for discouragement. Well, we need to recognize the symptoms. Did Elijah recognize that he was discouraged? Nope, not a chance. I don't think he gave time for that. So Elijah is discouraged. We need to ask this question, what am I doing here, and how did I get here? To be feeling like this, to have feelings like this towards my God, to remain discouraged, what am I doing here? You know, I can kind of identify with this, these feelings. If you go back to the year of 2020, it was, it was, it was just a massive year of discouragement. Discouragement opportunities. 
and you had to stay on top of it. You had to recognize those feelings. And Satan was having heyday in the church with those feelings. So the remedies. We want to turn to the scriptures. Cast your burdens on the Lord and don't pick them up again. So in Psalm chapter 55, verse 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord. That's Old Testament, folks. That's not Jesus speaking at this point. This is Old Testament. Cast your burdens on the Lord. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Now, where does it say here that we shall pick them up again? No, we don't pick them up again. We let him carry them. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus speaking, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, we cannot understand that great desire that Jesus Christ has to carry our burdens if we just give them to him. He's well able and capable. There's something else that goes with overcoming this feelings of discouragement, and Jesus said it well in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Come apart and rest a while. Come apart and rest a while. And there's something for all of us now here. The brotherhood. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down and feeble knees. The brotherhood here is here to help. The brotherhood here is here to pick up the hands that hang down. How do they know they're hanging down? Because if we are making observation that everything is okay from outward appearance, it appears as though everything is okay. We need to be honest. We need to be open with our brothers and sisters. Can you help me? Have you ever had somebody come to you and say you've been, they've been feeling discouraged? That is real in their lives. That is for real. We want to help them. Alas, we want to move on here. Elijah didn't discover that. He didn't acknowledge discouragement here. Uh-uh. He moves right on to the next one, and that is the wound of de depression. So he moves from discouragement to depression. So depression here is dwelling in discouragement. It's when we don't acknowledge it, and this is where I am going to live and dwell, and I'm going to... Um, Bask in my discouragement. It's low in spirit. It now affects the psychological depression. Psychological depression. The body, our body is not created to live in these conditions. And that's why our body starts to respond. All right? What are some causes of depression? What are some symptoms of depression? Not recognizing the discouraged stage. Elijah says that he ran for his life. He went for his life. He thought he was doing himself a favor. He was saving his own hide here, and he went for his life. He wanted to hide. Number two, another symptom is we blame our troubles on our circumstances around us. Did you find that in Elijah's life? What was his dialogue with God? It's like this long, and he repeats it twice. And it's somebody else's fault. Blaming others. In depression, another symptom is not taking responsibility for these feelings that I have, these wrong feelings that I have. We're not taking responsibility for them at all. And we're becoming entitled. Now, now, everybody, we're entitled to everything from everybody at this point. That's how we feel. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. At this point, another symptom is showing visible signs of the depressed spirit. Now, this is going to start showing obvious signs in the individual. I wonder if there's any for Elijah. It says here that he went, he went to Beersheba. Um, oh, yeah, he left his servant. 
That's interesting. What was wrong with keeping his servant with him? He's focused on himself. Making poor decisions is another symptom of depression. Making poor decisions, making impulsive decisions, and that is just demonstrated here in Elijah's um, experience. He, number one, he, he runs. He makes impulsive decisions to, to run. He makes impulsive decisions in some of the comments that he makes. He decides to leave the, the servant behind. He had no use for a servant anymore. He didn't need nobody. Now, what are some remedies for this depressed state and feeling when we have symptoms? The remedies for depression is to recognize that these feelings are absolutely not of God. God has not given us these feelings. They're not from God. We have chosen to um, dwell in this state. But it's starting to become hard for an individual to recognize that themselves. Dwelling in that state. Another remedy is to ask for help from brothers and sisters in the church. And we can do that. But what does the world do? What does society have to turn to? Is alcohol. It's at this point where it's alcohol. The more you can have it. The more you have, the more you want. Drink it away. You don't even have to worry about these feelings. We won't feel it anymore. It's a dangerous place to be, folks. We're no longer thinking rationally. We must open up and allow others to hear our hearts. We must be honest with our brothers and sisters about how we're feeling. If we're not sure why we're feeling this way, which is sometimes the case, we must have somebody who's willing to listen and to help us consider why we are feeling so depressed. And somebody can help us. Somebody can help us understand brotherhood and parents here tonight. Let's be on guard for our children's sake. Let's be on guard. Let's be aware what some of these symptoms are. Some may not seek help. And we may not stay in this state very long, this state of depression, this wound of depression, because a wound that is, it, uh, the wound of depression that is left unattended is going to fester and become infected with what we call, number three, despondency. Now we have a severe wound of despondency. Now I wonder if that's anything, if anything like that is found in Elijah's experience. Despondency, depression of spirit, withdrawal from interaction with others, trying to run from our circumstances. We said that Elijah ran. And then it says that he left his servant behind. You see, he didn't want any company anymore. And it says in the next verse, but he himself. You see, it says he himself went a day's journey. It's all about himself now. You see that? Well, before it was, it was his, him and his servant. And it's what he did with God's help and God's power. See, that's not being recognized at all anymore, folks. And he went a day's journey alone? That's not good. That's never good to travel a day's journey alone. We need the hand of God. We need our brothers and sisters. We don't journey alone. We don't journey well alone. Despondency. This, this, these individuals with this kind of a deep wound, festering wound, does not respond to offers of help. Was that Elijah's case? Sure it was. Doesn't respond well to offers of help. At this point, we're hurting those that we love. Maybe not intentionally, maybe not wanting to, but we are hurting those we love. And even worse... 
we are no longer concerned for our spiritual well-being at this point. And that is why it is so important to recognize the wound and to address it with the remedies. Because now we have a wound of despondency. So we have Elijah. It says that he left his servant. He journeyed alone in the wilderness. He came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And then it says that he lay and he slept. He lay and he slept. I had told you that he's tired, right? Remember that? But he's not thinking rashly. He lay and he slept. See, these individuals, we we just want to sleep our problems away. While I'm asleep, I do not have to uh, reckon with any of my circumstances. I don't have to be reminded of my pain. I don't have to be reminded of the decisions that I need to make. I don't have to do nothing. And we sleep. And there he slept. I don't know what he intended to do, but he laid down and he slept. He's in a very, very critical condition here. He's in a very critical situation here, Elijah is. The body is now responding to the, to, to, to the feelings, and so he, so he sleeps. God is no longer part of the equation. Folks, let us never get to this point where God is no longer part of the equation. And you know why we can say that? It says here that he requested for himself that he might die. You know, up until this point, God had been doing the talking. And God had been doing, t- telling Elijah what to do. And God would tell Elijah what to do and he would go do it. Now we are Elijah telling God what to do. Some causes of despondency that is a severe wound here is remaining in the depressed state. Um, Some cases in the scriptures, severe mourning, like Jacob could not be comforted for Joseph. Um, Sickness and suffering unto death. The sorrow of David for Absalom, the sorrow of David when the infant died from his sin, is sorrow that they they didn't even respond to people. They couldn't be comforted, it might say. I think another thing that can be a cause for despondency is the intense fears. And I want to read a scripture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 5 and 6. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, and it says here, in within were fears. You know what that is like? Nevertheless, God that comforted us, those that are cast down... Comforted us how? By a brother. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. It took another brother, it took an individual to actually come and comfort them and help them out of these troubled circumstances. Elijah was fearful. So we have the remedies for despondency. Is that we need to recognize the great need for God to carry us out of this dark valley. We need to recognize the darkness and the dimness that is suppressing us. We need to recognize that we need help. We need to repent and confess of the state of selfishness that we find ourselves in. That is a remedy right there. To repent and confess of selfishness and doubts. God has not put any man into a despondent state. That is not how he created us. He has not put us into that situation. We have chosen and allowed ourselves to arrive at this point with wounds that have not been healed. We cannot continue to live with this type of wound that is unattended. 
It takes brotherhood. It takes interceding. It takes prayer. It takes fasting. But the individual's mind and heart must be directed back to God, must be directed back to truth, must be directed back to fact and not feelings. We're still talking about the feelings, this intense emotion, it says, or intense feelings. So we got to go back to the facts. Now we're back, now we're to wound number four. When despondency is left unchecked, it leads to what we call despair. Despair. Hopeless. This is, this is a definition. Hopeless state. Feeling of no hope. Utter loss of hope. Being a loner. That is not the definition of a Christian. It is not the definition of a follower of Jesus Christ who is light, who is love, who is life. We cannot dwell here. God's children may not dwell here. Despair, very dangerous wound. It is this wound that one is unable to think rationally anymore. They allow themselves to be taken so far. We're dwelling on the immense darkness that is shrouding us, the darkness and the dimness that does not allow us to see our very needs. We feel the evil around us because that's what it is. We need to reckon with that, folks. At this point, the body is responding and they cannot eat. And some of the times, a lot of times at this point, they cannot sleep. It says here that Elijah slept. Always exhausted. Never finding rest. It says here that Elijah wished for himself to die. You know, he saw his only, he only saw his hopeless situation. He's still looking at his condition and his circumstances. Somebody came up to him here and says, arise and eat. Well, he did. He arose and ate immediately slept. It's like he didn't receive the help that came. So it happened two times. Arise and eat. He laid up. He sat up and he ate. And he laid himself down again. Despair. We can look at Judas and the account in Matthew 27, 3 through 5. We know the account there of, of Judas who betrayed Jesus, came back to the high priest. He actually wanted to buy his redemption back by returning the coins. He wanted to buy his freedom. He wanted to buy release. And he got nothing. So Judas was in despair. He knew right from wrong. But he saw his situation as being hopeless. That was his perspective. And when we're in despair, the devil is saying the only way out is death. And we're no match for the devil. Outside of the power of God in our lives. It's the power of, of God that can raise us out of, up out of this situation and this condition. But when we dwell there and we deny the power of God, it is unable to help us. We need to accept the power of God that is available through Jesus Christ who said, come to me, I will carry it. But alas, we deny the power because we choose not to believe. We choose not to believe that God is able. The feeling of hopelessness is very real to the individuals and I don't know if we can quite fully grasp that how real that is to individuals. Some remedies for despair is to hope in God. Hope in God always. Psalm 42. Read some verses there. Psalm 42, verse 5. 
Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Therein lies our help, brothers and sisters. Verse 11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Therein lies our hope. Remedy for despair is God's faithfulness. He has not moved. You know, the hand of God could still be right there on Elijah, and he never recognized it. He wasn't looking for it. God has not moved. God has the same amount of power on Mount Carmel as he did when he was trying to get Elijah's attention. Cast your, all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. But we need not stay in this state. There is hope. There is hope. Let's look here in, in closing here in Elijah's experience. There is hope. By the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit, it need not end in despair. Let's see what Elijah did. In verse 10, in verse 9, God comes to him and he asks him in a loud voice there and he says, What dost thou hear, Elijah? God asking the question, and brothers and sisters tonight, when God asks a question, you and I are compelled to answer all the time. And when Elijah was there in that despairing state, God said, what are you doing here? Elijah was compelled to answer. And you and I are compelled to answer tonight. If God is moving, God, the Spirit is speaking and saying to you tonight, what are you doing here? We are compelled to answer. Man is compelled to answer God when he speaks. Is he speaking? Is he asking, what are you doing here? Well, it got Elijah's attention. But look what he talked about. I, 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 I. And on and on and on it went there in his explanation on why he was where he was. He was still looking at self. And then in verse 14. Oh, so then, then God did show himself, you know, in this way here. It says it was in a still small voice. So that... Elijah recognized that God was speaking and he went out in, in humility and in reverence and honor. He covered his face and stood in the presence of God. And guess what God does again? He says, what are you doing? The second time he asked him, the second opportunity for him to answer. Two times. And he says the same thing. I, 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 I. I did this, and I did that, and I did this. It was nothing about what God is doing. But when God spoke, and it is so tonight, when God spoke, Elijah listened. That is the key that we want to take away tonight. It's what Josh was referring to in the opening meditation. That when God spoke, Elijah listened, and he obeyed. He said, the Lord said, go. That was the command. There's a little more to it, but he said, go. Get up and go. I have a work for you to do. When God spoke, Elijah listened. Now, if Elijah would have took the focus off of himself, way back there in front of Jezebel, he could have found 7,000 men to stand beside him versus the one lady. But he didn't look for help. That's our problem. When we have wounds, when we have wounded hearts, we, we, we don't look for help sometimes. We don't look for help because it's, it's about ourselves and it hurts. And then in verse 19, it says, So he departed thence. And you know what? The hand of God was upon him. And he went, Elijah went, 
and he obeyed God, and he anointed these men, and he found these fellows, and he chose them, and he anointed them. He did exactly what God had said. And it was a valley experience that Elijah was in, and God brought him up out, and he set him back up, and he set him back to work. And that's what God wants to do for you and I tonight. And I don't know if there's somebody here tonight with a wounded heart of any nature that Elijah found himself in, but if you're not feeling the, the light of Jesus Christ in your life, he is here. He is willing to touch us. He's willing to heal the wound. But God has yet to heal a wound that has been not been brought to Him. And I just learned something new tonight just looking at this scripture. How did Elijah die? Somebody? You know how serious it was for Elijah to ask God to take his life and it was not God's will and God never honored that. He took him to heaven in a chariot. I'm not telling you to try it. I'm not telling you to challenge God. But I want you to know how serious God is with a man that when he requested himself to die, God never honored it. That's serious. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if you have a wounded heart. I don't know if you have a wounded spirit. But in Jeremiah 10, 19, we learned that Jeremiah recognized his wound was great. He recognized that wound was grievous. And that wound may have been a wound of despair. I don't even know. But it was a wound that he said, I must bear it. It's a pain. It's a difficulty. It's difficult circumstances. It's for me. Are you willing to bear it? Tonight, we're going to give an invitation, and if you're here tonight, sitting in the darkness, sitting in the dimness that comes with these feelings, if you're here with the suppressed feelings of wounded hearts, wounded emotions, and that's why I said this should not even be, should not even be a, a discussion amongst God's people, right? It's difficult to think about these things. It was a difficult time in Elijah's life. And there could be somebody here tonight who is experiencing difficulties in their life. I don't know. Tonight is the night. The invitation is open. If you're here tonight and you want to come forward, come forward. If you're here tonight and you never accepted Jesus Christ and you didn't find him in your heart last night, tonight's the night. He's waiting and he's knocking. He's still saying, come unto me. But he has not entered a heart where he was not invited. He has not healed a wound who was not, that was not given to him. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for hope. We thank you for Jesus and the blood that is able to heal. It is able to heal our wounds, able to heal our feelings, able to bring us up out of that miry pit, able to bring us up out of where Elijah was dwelling. You know our hearts, you know our feelings, and they are so real to us tonight. No, oh God, I just pray that you would bind the powers of Satan, demons, and devils, that they would not be able to influence this service. And if there be one here tonight with a wound, that you would draw them to your heart in some way. May the Spirit work, and may the blood of Jesus do its cleansing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's sing a couple verses of Just As I Am. And if you're here tonight... I'm plead with you to come forward. Shall we sing?